Well, good evening, uh, everybody. Uh, this is a, uh, an extremely challenging passage for us tonight. Um, Peter's teachings, really, the, this entire book is focused on the set of ideas present within, within our passage tonight. And his, his teachings are directly opposed to our modern sensibilities you know, as, as, you know, in this, this age that we're in right now with a heavy emphasis on pursuing social justice, instruction that tells us to endure injustice is ludicrous. Uh, to fail to cry out against slavery, as, as we've been repeatedly told, in a numerous ways, to, to not cry out or to stay silent is to be as guilty as the slave owners. To call wives, so the next section is going to address wives and husbands. To call wives to subject themselves, to subject themselves to and to obey their husbands is, in our modern sensibilities, oppressive, outdated, backwards, and barbaric. Um, and not only they, are they opposed to our contemporary sensibilities, they're also opposed to what we naturally feel and desire, which is why he has this instruction at the beginning of the passage to abstain from giving in to our fleshly desires. And so Peter is giving us instruction that directly opposes our modern sensibilities in many ways, and directly opposes what we naturally feel or have passions and desires about. So I want to work through this passage carefully. And again, it's, a, it's an extremely challenging passage, not because, well, be, because of these instructions. And Deirdre and I are actually going to do a, uh, a tag team preaching next week on husbands and wives. And so um, it, we're going to be hitting these challenging instructions for the next few weeks. Um, it's, so it's challenging because of these types of commands, but we're, we're going to see that there's, there's something even, even deeper that, that Peter is calling us to. And uh, it, it, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an exhilarating passage, it's a challenging passage, and my hope is that none of us can leave tonight without feeling... Um, at, at one point, <laughs> in, in a heavy burden, uh, but also a, um, an, an, an energy and a zeal for seeking to uh, what, obey, what Peter has to say here. So there are three sections in the passage for tonight, and the first passage provides the overarching message really for, for the thrust of all of, of what Peter is writing in this book. And so this, this first section um, is abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That's the big idea there. And so he starts out as sojourners in exile. So it, again, this is not just a metaphorical phrase that he's referring to them about. They are in a new place. They've been kicked out of their home. Assets have been taken. They're in a new place. Strange people, strange customs, different cultures. So they're immigrants. They're immigrants. And so there's going to be some, some tensions already. They're going to be on edge. And so he instructs them to control their passions and desires 
that would overcome them. He, Peter's objective, and it's really his objective throughout this whole book, is to be mindful of how you are living with and, and um, approaching the people of the world with a concern for their salvation. Peter's concern is for their salvation. You can see here he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. So the Gentiles means anyone that is not a part of the family of God. Keep, the, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the idea here is, is that if they... Um, resist giving in to their passions. They resist giving in to their passions and conduct themselves in an honorable way in the world, the same the, the, the world that is speaking evil against them. If they are spoken evil against and they still are living in an honorable, good way with those in the world, there is perhaps a chance that they will come to know Jesus Christ, that they will repent because of the kindness show them, and that's what this means, that then they will glorify God on, on the day of visitation. The day of visitation is when Jesus returns. So you have these people that are opposed to you. They are speaking evil of you. Live amongst them in an honorable way, so it may perhaps lead to their salvation. That's his concern. That's his concern. And it's really... Like I've said, the, the main thrust of, of this entire book. So he's going to now unfold this in practical ways over the next couple of chapters. He's going to expand on what this means to live honorably amongst the people of the world that don't know God. And so the first subject then, the first practical way that he's dealing with this is how we relate to really every... He says here, uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so essentially it's if whatever power structure exists in the world, whether it's the, the hierarchy at your place of employment, whether it's the, the government, whether it's the military, whatever, whatever power structures exist... You need to subject yourselves to them, which means to put yourself under the control of, okay? Don't resist and don't retaliate. Those are kind of the two options. Don't resist and don't retaliate. Put yourself under the control of them, all right? So this means, and, and he, later then he says, by doing good, you will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So again, there are going to be people that slander Christians. There are going to be people that speak of Christians as evildoers. Um, those people may be those who are in positions of power. So even though, again, that they're speaking evil of you, put yourself under their power structures and orient yourself to doing good which the commentators that I've been reading says, um, do more good than, is what is, than what is generally expected, okay? Rise above the level of doing good in your place of work. Rise above the level of doing good, of what's expected or normal, in your neighborhood or in your 
in, as, a, as, a, as a citizen. Rise above what's normal and do good in the midst of the various power structures that you may be there. Quit resisting, quit um, retaliating. Again, use your freedom. Now, we've learned that, that we have been set free from slavery to sin. So if we are giving in to passions, when we are oppressed, when we are slandered, if we're giving in to the, the temptations to resist, if we're giving in to the temptations to retaliate, we're not free. But it takes choice it takes choice and it takes commitment to live differently. It takes some power to freely choose to go against the passions. Now, he then ends this section here. He says, honor everyone. Okay, so that means to hold, hold everyone in high esteem. Love the brotherhood. So there's the, the loving of the brotherhood. Now we're supposed to love our neighbors, but he's, he's kind of got these positioned here. Have a perspective towards everyone that you honor them. Give your lives to those who are the children of God. Fear God in terms of recognizing that um, in his judgment and in his discipline, uh, you know, we are held in his hands. Hold the emperor in high esteem. Okay, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an elevation of our orientation to whom we follow and to whom we serve and to whom we love. We are to fear God. We are to be servants of God. That's the repeated identity that Peter gives us here in this passage. We are servants of God. Therefore, honor everyone, honor the emperor, give your lives for the people of God. So, after coming through these first two sections, he says, you know, it, it's gonna, we're going to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We're going we're to cause people that are speaking of us as evildoers, uh, we're going to cause them to give glory to God on the day of his visitation. So what is it about Christianity that's going to bring about this silencing? What is it about Christianity that makes it reasonable and not reactionary? What about Christianity causes us to honor the powers that be? And what about Christianity gives us the, the first impulse to do good and focus on our personal conduct in these hostile conditions? That's, that's really what we have to ask ourselves. How can what what about Christianity energizes his peop, God's people to, to be this way? And what about Christianity causes there to be that effect where people that are are that are slandering, that are hostile, tr changes them, transforms them, brings them to salvation, silences their evil slanderous speech. And that's what Peter's really going to get into here in this next part. On the slaves. So the, the, the first term, servants, it's literally house servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect. And so I, I just, it, the first thing to recognize here is that there's a, there was a recognition in, um, 
ancient Roman and ancient Greek uh, civil life and their philosophy, they did not consider the home private. <laughs> what happened in the home had an effect on society. All right? A good society, a good civilization has to be grounded on great households. And so there's instructions to the households here. And so part of this is the recognition that, that Peter has to make sure that our households are living in such a way so that our conduct is honorable in the world. And his instructions begin first here with people that are in Christian households and non-Christian households that are the house servants. They are the, they slaves. So they are the property of the household, the family. That's who we're talking about here. There is not, in the New Testament, an admonition for all the Christians to buck against the oppressive system of slavery and to release all their slaves. It's not there. Now, there is teaching by the apostles that says it is best to be free. It is best to be free. And you, have, you do have examples where um, the apostles are instructing people to actually release their household servants. But instead, there is the command to respect and to hold in high regard the good and gentle masters, but also the masters that are unjust. That are unjust. Literally, the word is crooked. Hold in high regard the good and the gentle and the crooked and the unjust. And he says, what credit is if you endure the suffering? What credit to you is to endure the suffering while you are sinning. If you're doing something that deserved, literally in the passage, if you're doing something that deserved a beating, right? and you endure that, but you deserve, there's no credit to you. But if you are doing good, if you are doing good to a master who is beating you, he says that is a gracious thing in the eyes of God. And it will be a credit to you. And so there's grace in two ways in this. There's grace in two ways. First of all, the person that is enduring the hardship or the suffering or the sorrows, as the text is saying here. If you are enduring sorrows and doing good, to those who are unjust and hostile and causing you the sorrow, there's grace to you. there is grace to you for doing that. There is grace to you for doing that from God. God is going to give you the strength to persevere in that situation, and he's also going to bring joy to you in that situation by the power of the Holy Spirit, which goes back to what we've learned from chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit is at work in us through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the living hope that we have to save our souls, which isn't just, again, that eternal thing. It's for the here and now, our experience. The Holy Spirit will 
give grace to endure and to sustain and to persevere and to be joyful in the midst of suffering unjustly at the hand of unjust people. That's the first thing of grace. The second thing of grace is that it's grace, it's grace towards the unjust master. It's grace towards the unjust master. And then he says, for to this you have been called. And this is where the text broadens beyond the application and the instruction just to the household servant. It's broadening out to everybody that's reading this letter. For to this you have been called. And then he says, because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, this word example here is really not strong enough. I think the word may be prototype or pattern. It, 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 it means that Christ has set a way of life that you should follow exactly. That you should follow exactly. And then it goes into this, it's actually, some of the translations uh, beautifully put this into a poetic type of structure. Um, what Peter has done is he's gone back to Isaiah 53 to, you know, for those of you that are familiar with your Old Testament prophets, Isaiah 53 is this remarkable explanation about who the Messiah will be. And it's, it's called the, the, the Suffering Servant. It's a poem about the Suffering Servant. And so what Peter has done is he's taken that, that piece out of Isaiah 53 about the Suffering Servant, and he's put it into like a, a, a poetic form. It's not reflected in a lot of the text. It's not reflected in the ESV. Um, but it's similar to some of the poems that we've seen in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2, they had, the apostles had these ways of putting key theological ideas, especially about the gospel, into these poetic forms so they, that they could put songs around them. So this would be another great, I know that the, uh, one of the kids groups is memorizing some of those poems. This would be another great one to put in there. I started memorizing it today. It goes into this, this unfolding of what the Old Testament prophets, remember what he says in chapter 1? What they were writing about wasn't for them, it was for you. And so he's taking some of that prophetic word and he's saying, here's what this, is mean, here's what this means for you, recipients of this letter. And he goes into this teaching about Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the suffering servant has set this pattern 
for our lives. And the big idea is that when we are in moments of suffering, regardless of the source, we are not to give in to the passions that our bodies desire, that our culture is impressing upon us. We saw that in the, in this, in this, in the first chapter where we're really, we've been controlled by our own body and passions and by the culture and social expectations. And there's all different ways that we suffer. And he's going to hit a number of these ways that we suffer and our typical responses to them. Sexual immorality is a response to the suffering of lust. Wrath, malice, threats, and violence are responses to suffering from fear, insecurity, disrespect, weakness. Lying is a response to the suffering of losing face and shame. Stealing is a response to the suffering of envy. You could go down the list. And what he's saying is this. Jesus used, Jesus used suffering to redeem those who unjustly caused him to suffer. Jesus used suffering to redeem those who unjustly caused him to suffer. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, you know, when we read this section on servants, we quickly can go by because, well, I'm, I'm not a household servant. I'm not sure this really applies to me. But this section here, from 22 through the end of the, end of the book, end of the, excuse me, end of the chapter, is, is setting the trajectory for the rest of his instruction. Because the next few passages, to husbands, to wives, he says, likewise. He's going to say, likewise, likewise, likewise. And if you do not pick up this idea that he's leaving for us here, in these, these teachings about the suffering servant out of Isaiah, we're going to miss the points to come. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we willing to suffer for the salvation of those who are unjust and mistreating us? That's the pattern that Jesus has set. And that's the pattern that Peter is saying, this has to be your lifestyle. You need to approach people of the world the same way that Jesus approached the people of the world and the same way that Jesus has approached you. He suffered for you. He healed your sins, your wounds through his wounds. He, he took in his body, our sins on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's the question that we have to ask. Whether it's, you know, because we're going to get into contexts that aren't slaves and masters. We're going to get into husbands and wives. We're going to get into other contexts within our households. It's our families, it's our neighbors, it's our work relationships. Are we real willing to suffer and still do good to those who unjustly treat us in order to see their salvation? In order to see their salvation. So he's, he gives us two things to help us with this orientation. 
One, being mindful, this is a gracious thing, in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And the second one is, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So these are the, the two means through which we are able to orient ourselves. And so our alternatives, and I'm gonna, I'll come back to those. You know, we, we can endure hardship and sorrows by just keep sinning and relieving ourselves. We can give in to our passions, we can give in to our desires, and use all the ways of the flesh and of the world to make ourselves feel better for a season. We can endure that way. It's not really enduring, but we can endure that way. We can endure sorrows and keep bottling up anger and bitterness and anxiety. We can, we can do that, and we do do that. By just saying, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm really angry. I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to I'm just going to try to keep persevering. And that's, you know, we can endure sorrows thinking that we can just keep carrying this weight. None of these alternatives are a means of grace. Enduring sorrows by giving in, enduring sorrows by resisting, enduring sorrows by retaliating, enduring sorrows by just bottling up and trying to press on. None of those bring about the grace of God into our lives. None of those bring about the grace of God into the lives of others. We want to see grace to eventually see the unjust person redeemed. And we want to see grace so that we can experience joy and strength and perseverance from the Holy Spirit. So again, what does it mean to be mindful of God and what does it mean to entrust ourselves to God? So mindful of God, I believe what he's doing is he's, he's, he's telling us that we must be, be renewing our minds on who this suffering servant was and what this suffering servant did in order to bring us into redemption. You know, when we come into salvation, if you, if you come into salvation, there's a recognition, definitely has to be, that we are, a, that we, we are sinners. That we have violated and disrespected and dishonored God. We have hurt people. So when, when, we, when we come to the place of salvation, there's this recognition that we are stuck, we are enslaved, we need help, we keep destroying ourselves, we keep destroying others, our mental and psychological and physical and spiritual well-being is in the trash. When we come to salvation, that, and then because we're, we're so open to grace and kindness, when, we, when, when God reveals that to us, it's It's amazing. And so, can we remember that? Can we remember that we were once in this place of desperation, hostile towards God, hostile towards Jesus Christ? And then we see these people that are being hostile towards us. What brought us to salvation in Christ? His kindness. 
What's going to bring people to salvation that are unjust towards us? It's not going to be resisting. It's not going to be retaliating. It's not going to be, it's, it's going to be the persevering in doing good in the face of injustice. That's what's going to show the gospel to people. That's what's going to get them to say, there's something about this Christianity that I need to know and understand so that they can give glory to God when Jesus returns, which means they've come to know him. That's what it means to be mindful of, mindful of God. There's a, a recognition of what God has done through Jesus Christ in bringing us salvation. It's also being mindful of God's impending and just judgment. So it says here that Jesus, Jesus entrusted, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus wasn't afraid that injustice was going to continue forever. Jesus wasn't afraid that mistreatment of him was going to go on unpunished. Jesus was confident that injustice was going to be judged by God, who judges justly. He knew that he could not retaliate and that things would eventually be dealt with. If, if, if he were to take on the judgment for somebody else because in his kindness they would repent, that's what Jesus wanted to do. But if they wouldn't repent in sight of his kindness, in sight of the grace of God, then they were going to eventually face the judgment of God. So Jesus could be confident as he was being beaten and stabbed and spat upon that this is all going to get taken care of. God is going to take care of all of this. And I am going to put my place into this place of a servant so that people will be overwhelmed by my grace and my love and my willingness to die for them so that they can be free of sin and live for righteousness. Those are the things that, those are the things that, that empower us to live this way. Again, we're going to see, regardless of the social context that we're talking about, Peter is calling us to live the pattern of life set by Jesus. Endure unjust evil against yourselves and do good. And let's see what that does in bringing grace to the people that are mistreating you. And let's see what that does in terms of you experiencing a grace that's going to give you joy in the midst of being mistreated. I'm going to conclude with a, a quote from Miroslav Volf, I think was one of uh, Lawrence's professors at Yale. Because it's also a way to bring about lasting chains, change socially and culturally. He says, the call to follow the crucified Messiah was in the long run much more effective in changing the unjust political, economic, and familial structures than direct exhortations to revolutionize them would have ever been. For an allegiance to the crucified Messiah, indeed, worship of the crucified God, is an eminently political act that subverts a politics of dominion at its very core. If we think that power is going to be the means of justice. It's not the way of Christ. The way of justice is recognizing that it is God who judges 
And if we want to see the transformation of people and society, it's going to be doing good in the face of injustice, following